Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, this is Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. This episode, I'm joined by former NHL goaltender, two-time Vezina finalist, two-time All-Star, Mr. Kirk McLean. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate in iTunes, Spotify, and all the streaming channels. As always, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at MikeMcKenna56. Football may not be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, all in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. Look for those mid-value picks. Dallas, the Raptors, college basketball, always a Mizzou fan. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV. So some of those things you're watching at night, you might as well put a bet on them. BetOnline has hundreds of props and real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, 24-hour online casino, always open, never closes. So head to the website, use your mobile device, sign up today. You'll receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And now sending it over to Mr. Kirk McLean. Well, let's let's flip it back to the beginning. I mean, Toronto kid, you know, you get to the OHL, spend a couple of years there. Next thing you know, you're in pro. Why goaltender? What made, what drew you to the position? Well, I kind of fell I fell into the position. Um, I started my hockey career as a skater, and my first year of really somewhat organized hockey was more of a a hockey school, but it was a full year. It wasn't just uh, a couple months or a month of of a hockey school. So. Um, you know, we learned the skills of the game, obviously, and, and the, the rules and then got into scrimmages, uh, you know, later in the, in the season. But uh, there was a goalie school that um, would come on after each of our sessions. And at that time in the, you know, the mid 70s, early 70s, um, the, the, the face masks were starting to get the paint jobs. So all the wild paint jobs were starting to come in on some of the goaltenders and you know, I was a little intrigued by that. And of course I grew up a, a Bernie Perrant and Jacques Plant fan. Um, and then the likes of Doug Favell came in when he was traded for Bernie from, from Philadelphia and he had some face masks. And then Mike Palmatier came in and he had some wild face masks. Greg Harrison, a number of, a plethora of goaltenders back in the seventies that came to the Leafs. So, so I just kind of was like, wanted to stick around with my dad and watch what was going on. Um, and this particular, uh, um, instructor that had the school was kind of, was kind of like a drill sergeant. So I was kind of attracted to it. I don't know why he had the puck machine, which was a huge <laughs> thing back then. He had the, the brush cut and he was pretty demanding of his goaltenders. And, you know, I just kind of uh, fell in love with the position there, but I, but I went on to, to play house league hockey for a year, my first year house league hockey as a skater. And then in my second year of house league, house league hockey, halfway through the year, we need a goalie some, for some reason we need a goalie. So myself and, and uh, another player put our hands up and we, we split the half a season and I actually had some pretty good success and made the house league all-star team. And, you know, I had fun with that and just kind of stuck with it from then on. So, so pretty much from, I guess it was the age of seven, I guess it was late, late six-year-old, seven, early seven-year-old where I, I just fell into it and had early success and, and enjoyed playing the, playing the position. Next thing you know, you're playing for Oshawa in the OHL. That yeah. quick, right? <laughs> that, that, was that, it a pretty that quick? Did it go by that fast? Though, I mean, did you know that the OHL was probably a likely route for you? Yeah, was it a surprise. I mean, it was a surprise when it happened because at the time, um, I didn't really get into AAA hockey, if you will, or, or uh, travel team hockey until uh, Pee Wee. You know, I played uh, um, kind of a lower lower level double A hockey if you will, uh, in local er- areas in Toronto, I went from, so I played at, uh, um, Asian court, uh, Civitan, which was my, I started out at Scarborough, Scarborough Lions hockey Academy. And that's where I started out. And then went Asian court Civitan house league. And then I went to the Scarborough hockey association, which was the SHA and played for Asian court lions. And then I jumped to the double, double AMTHL double A for Don Valley villagers for, for a year. And then, and then the Donald's flyers came, came knocking on the door and, uh, and Pee Wee, and that's when I, you know, went from Pee Wee through through to Midget, with pretty much the same team. Um, we grew we grew as a group uh, in the in the MTHL AAA uh, category and had success uh, 
um, in peewee, bantam, and in midget as far as championships. And, and then, of course, when you're in midget and you start to hear all the rumblings from uh, amateur scouts and, and the odd agents knocking on the door to, um, to see where you're at as far as that part of the game. And, and that's, when it, that's when it starts to get a little bit more serious. But, uh, um, yeah, it was a, a bit of a surprise. I always felt I was going to go the, uh, the OHA route or the OHL route. Uh, uh, it wasn't um, quite on the radar for, for most players uh, uh, to go the college route. Uh, you were, I was recruited, but uh, um, I always, you know, wanted to play in the, in the Ontario Hockey League or, or the Ontario Hockey Association at the time and, and then go from there. You get a couple of years at Oshawa. You're drafted after your first year by the Devils. So right. things are progressing along. When did pro really come on the radar for you? When did you think you actually had a chance at the NHL? Well, I think when you're in junior hockey, and I must say, I'll, I'll take a few steps back. When I got drafted as, a, as an underage in, into junior, so at that time, uh, as a 16-year-old, you had to be drafted in the first three rounds. Um, so I was drafted in the third round, but I opted to stay back and play another, another year of midget uh, just for de- development reasons and and I thought, uh, you know, that plus my parents and my midget coach and and other other people around the game thought it would be better for my development because um, at that time, Paul Terrio, who was the coach, and and Sherry Basson, who was the GM uh, in Oshawa, um, Paul was very big on playing his veteran players and his rookie players didn't get much much ice time, uh, especially goaltenders, I'm sure, especially the, especially the goaltenders, Peter Sidorkovich was the goaltender at the time. Um, so he was the number one guy and, uh, you know, he was going to play the bulk of the games. I think, um, I think it was Jeff Hogg that came in and, and, uh, uh backed, uh, Peter up the year. I didn't, I didn't go as a, as an underage and I think he only played 10 games. So, you know, the development side of it, uh, uh wasn't going to be there for me. And, and, uh, that happened. It, it happened kind of uh, the next year. Peter came back as an overage. I felt the bulk of the game. So you know, I think I got in 20, 25 games or so. But um, um, then I got drafted, you know, on my draft year in, in 84 when I was 18. And, and uh, you know, reality was starting to, to, to set in. Your boyhood uh, dream was, was uh, starting to take place. And, you know, I didn't know where I was going to get drafted. You know, there was rumors or to who. Um, at the time, uh, Frank J, bless his soul, uh, was was a, an amateur scout for, or excuse me, a pro scout for uh, um, New Jersey, but an amateur scout, obviously for for Oshawa Generals as well, along with being a school teacher in Oshawa. So he saw me a lot. So um, there was a plethora of players that that came out of the, the Oshawa organization that ended up in the New Jersey uh, uh, system. You know, Joe Sorella, John McLean, uh, myself. Uh, a few other players that didn't uh, um, have a long career in, in, in the National Hockey League. But, uh, yeah, so I was uh, super excited. I can remember the draft. It was in, in Montreal. Uh, I attended. Um, it was a lot of sitting around till I got picked in the sixth, sixth round. But, uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, it was a, a, a great time. And my dad was there with me along with my, uh, um, my minor hockey coach who was became a good friend with the family. So, you know, it was a good time, not just for me, but for, for them as well. Was it pretty wild to get your first NHL games right out of junior hockey without any yeah. minor league experience? 100%. Uh, you know, I remember getting that call after we got beat out in, in junior in the playoffs. And there was a few games left in the, in Jersey's uh, uh, season. They weren't going to make the playoffs, but uh, I got called up. And, you know, I met the team in, in Quebec. That's where where they were there. It was the last three games. It was uh, against the Nordique on the road and then back to back home and home against the Islanders. So I sat on the bench uh, for the first game in Quebec and then sat on the bench for the start of the game in Long Island. And about, I guess it would have been probably six minutes in, we're down three, nothing. <laughs> and uh, I get a, I get, I, I got a, a tap on the shoulder by Doug Carpenter, who was the coach at the time. And Elaine Chevier was the goaltender who was a horse for the team back then. And in I go against the, uh, the almighty uh, New York Islanders that were just at the tail end of their, of their dynasty. And they still had every single player on that team. And, you know, I can remember going in there going, Oh my God, here I am lining up against Mike Bossy, Clark Gillies, Dennis Potvin, Brian Trotcher. You go down, you go down the list. 
Billy yeah. Smith in the other end. And, and uh, you know, they got four on me. We lost, I think, seven something uh, that night uh, in, um, in two and a half periods. They got four on me or so. And then I started the, the last game the next night back in New Jersey, uh, fan appreciation night. Uh, you know, there were rumors that they were starting me because they wanted to get the first pick and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> but I threw a little fan appreciation night. Up, Here comes the rookie goaltender. <laughs> yeah. We ended up winning the game at the end of the day, nine, uh, seven going into the third period. We're up five, three, we win nine, seven. I'll take it. It was a W. That's perfect, <laughs> man. We have like a really similar first NHL game for both of us. Like mine was in long Island too. And I got tossed in midway through the yeah. second period. We were down three, nothing like that. And Rick Tockett's looking down the bench to me and going, get in there. And I'm like, I guess this is it. You know, yeah, I never even played an exhibition game at that point. No time to think. No, it wasn't. And it went well. So you end up going to Maine the next year. One of my favorite places in my journey. Yeah. I played three years there. Uh, yeah. And you were a horse. Yeah. I mean, your first year pro, you got to play 45 games, which that's not necessarily yeah. common. So did, was that really falling into the right scenario? Well, it, it was. And we had a we had a plethora of goaltenders. You know, there was myself, right. Craig Billington, Chris Terreri, Sean Burke, who was still at that time with with the Olympic programming. Yep. Uh, we had Elaine Chevier, who was who was kind of the sacrificial lamb, if, if you will, up in up in uh, uh, New Jersey, uh, along with. Chico Resch had just retired. Ron Lowe had just retired. Um, but we had Hanu Kampuri. We had Carl Friesen, who you may know that, you know, uh, backbone to the German national team for well from Man Manitoba. Uh, you know, it was, it, we had uh, Bob Sove. Uh, there was a lot of goaltenders going on there. And that particular year, we kind of rotated the three of us, uh, myself, Craig, and, and Chris would get called up for a couple months each. And uh, but just to get that taste of what was going on, but to get 40 games in, like you said, down in the mire minors, uh, you know, they, they were on there to develop their goalies. That's what, that, what, it, that's what it was all about. And, and uh, Tommy McVie being the coach, uh, we had a veteran team for the most part. Uh, when I mean veteran the guys that were down there, not, I guess, career minor leaguers, but still had a pretty good stint in, in the national hockey league. Uh, and it was just a great experience. And you're right. Maine was a, an awesome place to play. I lived on Old Orchard Beach. Oh, man. You know, with, with most of the guys. Uh, I did my, too for two years. at the time was Dave Anderson. But the youngest, the youngest uh, thing. Yeah, that no, was great. Best lobster in the world. Oh, I ate more lobster. I ate a lifetime's worth while I was there. Is there anything about Tommy McVie that you remember that really stands out? Well, just his character. And, you know, every time I see him now and he's scouting for Boston, you know, he just does basically uh, the West Coast games now, mainly Vancouver. He sees, sees every game there. You know, he was a uh, just a character guy. I mean, an awesome person and a coach that you really wanted to go to bat for. He, he was old school, without a doubt. I mean, you work hard and you, and, and you, 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 uh, you play hard and you follow his system, and he was all for it. We had a playbook. You'd have a playbook made up uh, uh, every year. Uh, for every single player, and then he would he would uh, he would pull pop quizzes and surprise meetings, and you'd have to have that playbook everywhere with you, whether you're on the road or if you're at home, and and uh, you didn't necessarily have to learn it uh, front to back, but you had to you had to know what was going on as far as you know breakouts and penalty kill and all that stuff. Yeah, so for a goaltender, maybe what's an example of something that he had in the playbook that was specific to our position? Not, not nothing really. It was maybe the penalty kill, maybe the penalty kill being involved with the penalty kill, but he certainly would do uh, certain drills uh, for the goaltender because there was no goalie instruction down there at the time. And, and uh, he, he would have, you know, us laying on our sides and guys would come down off, off the wing and rip the shot off the wing <laughs> just to, you know, have you not get afraid of the puck, but he'd involve you in all the off ice stuff and the, the circuit training and everything. He was, I love the guy. I love him to this day. And, and he certainly, he certainly, um, you know, kept it interesting. His, his kids were named after all the cities that he, he coached in or played in. And, uh, um, you know, he obviously had a stint in the national hockey league as a, as a head coach, but, uh, you know, he was, he's, he's, a, he's a, an awesome human being and, and, uh, he's a character guy and he knows character people. That's for sure. 
With so many horses in the stable in Jersey, Billington, Burke, Terraria, yourself, were you surprised to head to Vancouver? No, I mean, uh, Sean came up for that, that one year we were down in the mire. He came in from, if you re- I don't know if, if you remember, if you're old enough, but he came in and, and played in the playoffs and played I very do. well. Yep. Uh, got them, you know, fairly deep into the playoffs. And, and um, you know, you knew that, uh, you know, he was definitely going to be on the radar. And prior to uh, that, Craig Billington actually went up as an 18 because he was drafted in the second round and played a whole year. Yeah. Uh, up in up in New Jersey, and they got sent back down to uh, to Belleville, um, and then Chris, uh, being Lou Lamorella's uh, godson, oh, Lou came. T Bone's on the payroll forever, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll never when, get him to do an interview until he retires. <laughs> <laughs> when when Lou when Lou came in after Max McNabb retired, uh, and Lou being me and Greg Adams being Lou's first trade, I'd never met the man. And, uh, you know, he just called me in the first day of training camp and, and told me I'd been traded and to Vancouver didn't tr- tell me for who or who, who with just the fact that the time the trade, the trade hadn't gone through the whole, the whole faxing part of it to the league. So he couldn't disclose everything. Uh, so I, I found out that it was Greg Adams when I was sitting on the plane and then he boarded in a little bit after the me. So what were your <laughs> expectations going to Vancouver? I, I I knew nothing nothing about Vancouver because any any traveling that I did with in the NHL was all in the East Coast. Um, as as far as I got to the West Coast was the Max Midget Tournament in Calgary. Uh, two years I played there. Never got to Vancouver. All I all I knew about was was my dad when he listened to the Leaf games on the radio at ten o'clock at night, uh, and that was it. You know I I. I vaguely remember the 82 series uh, with them uh, against uh, uh, the Islanders, but I was just, I was going in really green, did not know what to, to expect, um, you know, land landed there. And, you know, Pat Quinn uh, became the new GM, Brian Burke, the assistant GM Berkey. I saw quite often because he was a main Mariner right. uh, and then, and then went back to school and became a player agent. So he had a few, a few clients on the team. So he was in town all the time. I'd see him all the time. And Bob McCammon, who was scouting at the time, um, had a place in Maine as well, where Steve Tejura lived. And we lived in the same complex right next door in, in an, an old Maine Mariner, Frank Bath, old yeah. Philadelphia Flyer as oh, well. Oh, I've golfed with Frank Bath before. He yeah. gave, me the, gave me so much shit over the pants I was wearing. He thought they were too tight. <laughs> yeah. Bather, I mean, it's, it's weird. I lived in his house and he's an Oshawa family. He's from Oshawa originally. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, KG was, a, saw him all the time. He was a scout for, uh, he was scouting for Edmonton at the time. And, and it came full circle coming into, into Vancouver. And, and uh, there's a story that goes behind it. I don't know if you've ever heard it. If, if, Lay it uh, on me. So, so it, it's with Bob McCammon. So, it's the last game of the season. And uh, we played Fredericton our last our last game of the season. And at that that time or that year, they decided they were going to bring a shoot in. They were going to bring the shootout in as a experimental uh, to see if they were ever going to go to it in the National Hockey League at some point. And we ended up losing in a shootout the last game of the season to not make the playoffs. So that was a bummer. So we're out. We're out. That, we're out there in an experimental shootout. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 out that uh, that evening at Jay's Oyster Bar, which I'm sure you've been to. I've had plenty having of oysters a, there. Uh, yeah, on the water. Old, uh, yeah, having a good old time. The, the you know the team, the whole team was out, and and uh, um, uh, Bob uh, Bob was there hanging out. He was at the bar, and if you know Bob McCammon at all uh he's he can get pretty pretty yappy and and uh and can get it get under your skin pretty quickly you know especially when you've had a few pops in you and he's had a few pops in you so so he uh he was for some reason he was on my on my ass and all i didn't know who he was at the time but all the, all the older players knew who he was you know they were they were aware of what was what was going on in the future uh by the end of the night i just had enough of his you know trying to get on my skin and i just kind of went over there and started cursing at him and calling him names. You know, I basically said, look, bald headed piece of shit <laughs> off, you know, get lost and leave us alone. We're just trying to have, have time here. Right. And he's just laughing and smirking. The guys in the back, they're laughing and giggling because they know who he is and what he's like. And, <laughs> and the night goes on and I go back to the table. They go, you, 
should be careful there. He could be your coach one day. You never know. And I'm going, what are you talking about? And then they just laughed it off. So make a long story short, get traded to Vancouver, land in Vancouver. I don't know what's going on. It's the middle of the night we land, uh, uh, Greg Adams and I, we go right to the, um, right to the hotel because we got to meet the bus and head over to uh, um, Duncan for, for, for a training camp. As, as I'm walking on the bus, first person I say is Bob McCammon. I'm like taken back going, what, what the <laughs> hell is going on here? And, and I, you know, I just kind of put my head down cause I try to, I, I finally figure it out and I try to walk by him without him noticing me. And he, he grabs me, grabs me by the shoulder and he looks at me and he goes, looks like the bald headed fucks got you by the balls now, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I just said, I just said, yeah, nodded and it just kept walking on. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's how it all, it all happened. So we got a good laugh out of that one. Well, you're smiling about it. It seems like it turned into, well, a good relationship. it worked out. It worked out. You know, he, he, uh, at the time there was Frank Caprice and Richard Berdur, uh, were still on the team and, and uh, Wendell Young, I believe, had just left for Pittsburgh or they traded him to Pittsburgh in the summer. Um, so we went with the th- three goalie system for the first part of the year. And then they ended up sending Frank down to the minors. And then at the trading deadline, traded Richard to Hartford and Weeks came in. Um, so I ended up playing my first year, 40, 42 games. Um, yeah. So they played, me, they played me a lot for my first year as well. And, and uh, you know, obviously to get that, that call um, from the coach and the, and the coach's office and say, listen, you're here to stay, go find a place. That was, uh, that was pretty nice. And that's, pretty uh, uh, and that's what it was. Yeah, exactly. What, what was your equipment like at this point in your career? Oh, I know sure. you had the combo, you had the combo mask in New Jersey helmet with the cage. And it started with, with Brown colored equipment. Uh, by this time in 87, 88 in Vancouver, what did you switched in? Well, I was, I still had, when I first, Vancouver, I still had the combo, uh, the, the Cooper helmet and the mask. And uh, I, I had the uh, brown pads, but they were experimenting with the, with the suede leather. So they were, they were the brown pads with the suede leather that I had and, and, the, and the brown gloves and, uh, and, and brown belly pad and, and the one piece belly pad and, and uh, protector, uh, iron protectors. That was pretty, not broken down, fairly new, but I, I, I was a big into cutting my gear apart. I didn't like a big bulky stuff. I, I like to, to feel the puck and know where the, the puck was. And, and I basically just had caps on my shoulders. Oh, I heard part. your arm and chest was an atrocity. Yeah. <laughs> it was not yeah. a lot of protection on it. No, I didn't, I didn't like it. Um, you know, I, I just, like I said, the, uh, the feel of the way I, I knew where the rebounds were and, you know, and felt a little pain once in a while, but you know, I played the puck a lot too. So I, I felt better playing the puck and, and both my, my uh, my glove and blocker were were pretty much nothing. I could pull them right out of the right out of the box and use at night, no problem. My glove was basically like a first baseman's glove. There wasn't much padding in the glove. It was blocker was a blocker. I just changed the palm once a year, basically twice a year. I'd go through a glove once a month almost. Were you in Vaughn at that point? I was in I was in a brown and then uh, Vaughn 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 gloves. Yes, I had brown gloves at first and then and then Vaughn gloves, brown pads. And then I experimented with Miller pads and yeah. I got into, into the bond pads after that. Yeah. So what did you like right. in a pad? Like we talked gloves and arm and chest briefly, but what about a what? pad were you looking for? I like something that could break in super quick. It, it, it took till, I guess, probably the end of my first year, end of my first year where Vaughn came in with kind of the, the you know, K-Pock of stuffing or foam stuffing where it, it broke in really quickly and was super light compared to, the Miller pads and the brown pads that were, were leather and had the, either the horse hair or the, or the deer hair in it or whatever. Yeah. And, and uh, I just like the fact that I could pull it out of the box and, and wear it for a practice. And then when she was ready to go, yeah, that was, I, I think that was the Vaughn legacy. That was like a big step forward, right? Had some, yeah. foam in it. like, did you yeah. do anything custom to them at all? Or were they a pretty stock pad other from pretty, size? pretty, pretty stock pad. I, you know, I wasn't big on uh, um, doctoring it up. Uh, at all i just uh you know i just they knew what i liked right off the bat just something nice and basic and and uh and and just go with a traditional pad so why did you stick with a, a nash blocker and nash glove palm that brown color uh yeah people that kept the glove longer but you kept it yeah. i mean to the bitter end 
yeah, I, I think it just became who I was, I guess. Uh, I wasn't uh, one for, you know, I, I, I did start, uh, you know, my, my pad blocker or my blocker and, and glove, you know, other than the, the palms and, and the, obviously the, the, uh, the top of the blocker were the Nash color, but, but they could, they can, you know, put the coloring in the, in the rest of the glove and then the pads uh, I switched over when they, they switched the material over to, to something that was going to um, be a little bit lighter and better with the water as far as, uh, you know, uh, um, not soaking in the water as much. So I was able to start putting color in my pads, obviously. And then I, I went simple again and just went black basically with some, some color on the trim. So I always got some bash because everybody goes, well, why didn't you go white? Because then you're disguising the net and blah. And I'm like, come on. I mean, players aren't that stupid when they're going to you know, look up and go, oh my God, there's a, there's, there's white pads there. That looks like a five hole. I'm going to shoot for that. <laughs> We're kindred spirits, man. I think the know, same way. Uh, I know I can, I can understand the hockey stick, a player with black tape as opposed to white yes. tape that can disguise the puck. But uh, as far as the white pads blending in with the boards, I, I don't, I don't, I don't go for that. You know what I always thought was funny about white tape on a blade is that it could white tape could actually disguise the release of the puck because it blended in with the ice a little bit. So it kind of went both ways for me reading shots, like the black I'd lose in the blade, yeah. whereas I couldn't read as well from a white. Yeah. It just really depended on how they did it. Isn't it funny now how into goalie, into the equipment that goalies are when they're designing their colors and their setup always matches. And to me, like you had one of the most iconic setups of your time frame. But really, it didn't even match by today's standards, and to me, that's what made it so awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's all about social media now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's all about it's, the likes on the gram. One hundred, one hundred percent. I mean, you, you, you're seeing, you're seeing goalie uh, their kits, their masks, their gloves, or their pads before they even get them delivered. They're, you know, somebody's taking a picture of them, and and, and they're going through with all the different jerseys that they wear. They have different, they have a different setup for each jersey. Yep. which blows me away. I mean, it, it goes to show you the way the game's changed there. It's, there's no superstition going on or there's no uh, feeling comfortable in one set of gear. I mean, these guys are changing, changing pads or gloves, you know, every five, 10 games, maybe it depends on what, what uh, 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 jerseys they're wearing. I could it's never do that. No, it's I different. found it tough. The couple, the couple of all-star games that I played in when I had to put shells over my pants to match the, you know, the shirts, I found it tough. Oh, doesn't it feel like we're wearing a that. diaper? It does. I mean, it's, it tightens everything up and yeah, and I just, it just don't feel the same. I struggled when I, when I got traded yeah. late in my career, I had to wear shells. Yeah. I, I couldn't move. Me too. I thought they were awful. Yeah, me too. And it took a while to get used to all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, it was, you know, at the end, it was later in my career where things were evolving. I had to get used to a, a lot of things. And one was the change of, of my, uh, role, you know, you know, less games, uh, you know, starting to lean towards the more of the backup role and taking more shots, practicing maybe a little bit longer and a little bit more. And, you know, so I had to beef my gear up, you know, yeah. I had to get used to now leaving the padding in and, and in practice, maybe putting two cups on, you know, that type of thing, because yep. I was taking way more shots. So I, you touched on your puck handling earlier, and that's something I noticed about your career very early on. And it really hit home because I got a Hespler stick that was your pattern. But the ironic part is that I catch with my right hand, right? So Hespler was taking your pattern and just flipping it and selling that on the market. And I think it was pretty close to your pattern. And like, here's the thing. I'm so into sticks and, and equipment and all that, that. I noticed yeah. that your stick, like it had a little bit of bevel on the bottom and it had some curve to it. And it looked like you'd really yeah. messed around with it to find what you liked. Is that true? Uh, it was It was like a 13 lie modified, like you said, the heel was rounded. So it was more like a player stick at the end right. of the day. So I could stick handle and, and make dire direct pass. It wasn't just all about shooting it off the glass. It was about making a pass. Yep, still you know, that's, that's what I call by, a, by a, a good puck handling goaltender. Not the fact that he could shoot it off the glass. And there's also a lot of goaltenders that people think they're really good at puck handling, but they over, they overdo it. And they're actually not good, good at what the, they think they are. Um, but I, I got my pattern based on Peter Sidorkovich's stick, actually. As in, in, um, in, in Oshawa, um, if you were drafted, the trainers allowed you to get your own pattern. It's a big deal. And, and, Coop, and Cooper being, and Cooper being the, the main sponsor back in the day, Cooper Alls and all that kind of stuff, and the helmets and the gloves, uh, in the league at that time, we were, when I got drafted, I was allowed to get my own pattern and, from Cooper. 
And I, I just basically uh, took Peter, Peter's stick. I loved the way the lie was and the way he rounded his heel as well. I tweaked it a little bit at the toe where I put just a little bit of an upshoot, yeah. um, you know, just to give me a little bit of something at the toe, but it didn't have a huge curve on it. And cause I like the backhand as well. I think that obviously very important and not just using your forehand and, and uh, just lived with it from there. And, and I went into my first year's pro uh, using Cooper and then being in Vancouver, uh, Louisville was, was uh, a big pusher. So I, I started using Louisville um, and then uh, um, uh, was introduced to uh, the company international stick uh, uh, that was out of Toronto and, and, Europe somewhere, uh, Montreal as well. Um, and they, they just purchased Hespler. So, um, the loyal guy that I am, I moved to Hespler and, uh, never didn't do it for dough, just did it over friendship. And, you know, they may, may have fired me some grass cutting equipment or something like that, or golf clubs or whatever. And, and I had that, I had the exact same relationship with Vaughn. And then of course, uh, to Eagle, when, when Ross moved to Eagle, uh, um, I, I wore the, the equipment and used a stick, uh, cause I liked it one, um, but because of the, they were my friends and, and, you know, I wanted them to have success, you know, I'll scratch and scratch my back and, you know, and, and we had that relationship and we have that relationship till today. Now guys won't, now guys won't use, uh, use a stick for over five grand. I'm well, the hell is five grand going to do by the end of the time you get that money, it's, it's, it's two grand or 2,500 because. Uh, you know, the government's going to take half of that. And you're getting nothing out of it. I, I'm, I'm more for taking merchandise because one, you don't get taxed on it. Two, a company can write it off. I never understood that. Like you want to play with what you really like yeah. in the first place to exactly. me. Like, I, exactly. I, I that 10, 15 grand to some of these guys that are making four, four or 5 million bucks. Like, why are you bothering with that? Unless you're doing it for charitable cause or something like that. It's exactly, that's a little bit or different. You're getting- if you're into the uh, three, the six figures, you know, right. you're a hundred grand plus or something, maybe, but yeah, I never, I never felt that each year, but yes, if they're doing it for a turtle, you know, more power to yeah. them. So I saw a picture that the bottom of your skate in big, bold letters said weird on it. Can yeah. you give me the background on that? Um, that, that became a joke uh, with myself and uh, Pat O'Neill and, and, and at the time, Ed Georgica, who was his assistant trainer and, and bless his soul, Larry Ashley, who was our, our head physio. And, and uh, um, you know, we, we, we would be calling each other all different names, weirdo, weirdest, you're the, you're the weirdo, whatever it may be. And then, of course, when you leave the building, the trainers have whatever freedom to do whatever they want to do with your equipment. And, and uh, Pat O'Neill wrote weird on the back of my uh, on the skate and and uh, I went on a I went on a winning streak of or uh, a winning streak or or uh, no loss streak of like twelve games or so I just stuck with it. And every time I got a new pair of skates or if he just put a new cowling on, he that became tradition for him to put weird on it. And and to this day, <laughs> you know, I play forward now. I haven't played goal since the day I retired. I play forward or defense. You know, he'll still fiddle around with my, my player skates and he'll put weird on the bottom of my player skates. Sometimes. Amazing. You, you know, you had some interesting nicknames in your career. I mean, you show up and you're captain, yeah. captain Kirk. And, uh, I, I also yeah. heard Kirky complain and I'm hoping you can look yeah. back at these and laugh at them. Uh, oh, I do. But like, I still get them. I mean, I captain Kirk, did you ever get to meet Shatner? I never did. Uh, you know, that, you know, obviously came with, with that whole scenario, but never met, uh, Shatner. Um, you know, Vancouver, you know, Richard Berdur was King Richard, uh, you know, when Luongo came, Bobby Lou, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they're pretty good at, uh, at naming, naming, the, uh, the goaltenders, but, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Uh, Kirk complain is, I think, uh, <laughs> one that, uh, you know, even away from hockey, that's probably probably something that the guys like to call me and, and laugh about because uh, I can, I can do that. I can, I, I take that with a grain of salt, find myself, uh, um, you know, bitching and moaning or complaining once in a while, but it's all for the good. It's all for the good. You know, who told me that was Mark Parrish and he was like a rookie at the time. He said he never, <laughs> ever called you Kirky complain, but he heard Mellonby and some of the older guys calling you that and oh, yeah. stuck with them all these years. So 
talking earlier about having the mask and the cage, like how excited were you to finally get a Harrison mask? You already mentioned everybody in the seventies, oh, Favelle and down the list that had one. Yeah, yeah. It had yeah. to be a huge moment for you to finally get one made. Oh, it was, it was so cool. Um, you know, to be able to go do that. And Harrison, I, you know, I remember the day when we, we, we were in Toronto and I go down early before practice to get all fiberglass and molded up with the, you know, uh, you had the things up your nose and out your mouth and, and for Greg to, to, to mold you up. And, and then at that time, um, I would make the journey back to uh, uh, Toronto in the summer times for the first couple of years, back to the Oshawa Whitby area. So I was able to go to his warehouse and see it being made. And, uh, you know, poor, poor Greg, and, you know, I stay in contact with him now, but he, you know, he, I, I don't think he really knew what he would, what he had going at the time. Um, and he, and he's such a perfectionist that a mask would take forever to get yeah. because he was making a lot of people. And at the time before the fave came along and right. uh, he was the only guy doing it. And, and, you know, he would take a long time and it almost took the whole year to get that mask. And uh, you know, the last probably 10 games is when I got it. I was so excited and we were wearing a yellow color as our home, our home uni. So it was yellow. Right. The base was yellow. So it looks so cool. And just a nice, simple little with the Canuck uh, skate logo up the top and the V and the, uh, the V on the, um, on the chin and, and on the, on the, uh, the back piece was the V at the time. Um, you know, I felt, I felt like I had arrived again. I'm here. I am a professional goalie with a nice paint job and a hybrid mask and it fits so good. And, and, uh, you know, he was such an innovator of, of the mask and, 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 you know, able to, you know, add deflectors and, and, and hone his craft. And he was always improving that mask from the seventies on, you know, or maybe even the late sixties when he, when he probably started, started doing it. So, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I love how he integrated your family's tartan into it. Right. I mean, I'm yeah, fellow, fellow Scotch Irish, like that's really cool. Yeah. Same with me. Yeah. I mean, it, it was so cool. And, um, I just let him do, I, you know, I gave him kind of a concept and just let him do what he wanted to do. And, he would do some extensive background checks on, on, on everything. It was my, you know, my full dress tartan, my full, full dress tartan that he had on the Vancouver for four years. Uh, and then when we changed uh, the colors of the uniforms, when we went to the, the, the sea with the Yorka and the, the silver and everything, he did some more, some more uh, um, um, research and he, and, and he changed the, the tartan on the top and on the back piece and, uh, and then when I went into Florida, the same thing, he, he did a whole background with the colors there, the Florida colors, and then the same thing. So uh, it was pretty, you know, I just loved it. loved his work. I love his, you know, his stories that he tells on, on Instagram. Pretty now, cool. if you, if you follow him, you know, every, every goaltender, yeah, every goaltender's birthday, he, he tells a story of the mask and, and has all those pictures. It's, it's pretty cool the way he, uh, the way he explains his, his, uh, you know, his designs and, and what uh, he wanted to represent. A lot more with Kirk McLean to come. First, I want to tell you about the online goalie coaching that I'm doing with 44visionhockey.com. If you go to that website, 44visionhockey.com, you can choose your coach. Well, put me in. I would love to work with you. What we end up doing is taking your games either through Live Barn or Hockey TV. We upload them, get all the clips, then we have a Zoom meeting. Go through everything, see what's working in your game, what could be improved. And we just discuss it and go through all of those things. And it's through the eyes of a pro. It's what I've seen. It's what I've learned from all the goalie coaches that I've had. My knowledge of the game, taking it to yours. So it's super simple to do. Sign up. Get your clips in. We have our review session. You get clips uploaded to your own personal page. You can always look back on those kind of like a Cliff's Notes. And then once again, go into our Zoom meeting, go over everything, and keep the dialogue going. You get access to myself, my knowledge, all that stuff. So 44visionhockey.com. Love to work with you. Now a whole lot more from Kirk McLean. I think one of the reasons why your career was really on the radar for myself as a kid is because St. Louis and Vancouver were always tied in trades, it seemed like. You know, yeah. and and the, <laughs> the trade that sent Ron and Courtney from a mess of dirt yeah. to you guys, and yeah. the Blues got Dan Quinn and Garth Butcher back. And like, yeah, Garth Butcher was a great defenseman. Dan Quinn didn't yeah. really get up in St. Louis, but like that seemed like a big turning point for your team in Vancouver that led to the success. Well, it was a huge turning point. And, and, 
you know, Cliffy was involved in it. I mean, it's, um, it was, it was tough because Garth is, was such a good friend right. to, to this day is still a good friend. He was kind of a, uh, a mentor him, him and Doug Litster, who ironically ended up getting traded as well. Garth, Garth, uh, Doug Litster and Craig Cox, believe it or not, we were the kind of the fearsome foursome. They were the guys that kind of took me under their <laughs> wing and, and showed me the ropes, which, which if you know them all and, and uh, uh, it was fantastic. Garth, especially, I mean, Garth was a, a they're all, you know, good hockey players, you know, uh, you know, I don't think Coxie, Coxie got the credit for how talented he actually was. Yeah. You know, we all obviously knew how tough he was, but Garth was he, a big voice pretty, in the room though. Eh? 100%. Yeah. So was Doug. Doug was as well. You know, they were both assistant captains on the team and, you know, Butchie was a first round draft right. pick, uh, you know, could play a mean tough game. Tough as nails. Um, yeah, tough as nails, but also had good hockey sense and, and could ra- rack up some good points. That's, and, and Doug, the same thing, you know, Doug wasn't, uh, you know, maybe the one that would drop the gloves very often, but he could still play very physical and, and he was a big guy and, and obviously a, a student of the game uh, and, and could, could rack up a few points as well. Where, where, um, you know, you know, Coxie, you know, he, he kept it, uh, he kept it fun in the locker room. That's for sure. Can't have enough of those guys. But he, but he, he, he had silky hands. He had silky hands and those guys, and that day, especially never really got the credit. You guys were building towards that Stanley cup run in 94, you know, like yeah. Linden comes in, like there's momentum with the organization. And then first yeah. round against, against Calgary, the save you had, you are credited with yeah. the save in Vancouver history. I mean, two pad stack and overtime. Did you guys know something special was happening at that point? Um, we didn't, we kind of had something felt something was going on. You know, we, we had good teams for two, three years, at least uh, leading up to that year, you know, building up to that uh, um, where we thought, you know, we were, we were better teams than, than what we achieved in the playoffs. It for myself out, excuse me, in the playoffs, you know, we, we battled for the president's trophy on a couple of uh, years in the early nineties, leading up into 94. We had, we had a, a good little, a uh, good little run there. Uh, even though we lost in game seven to Calgary in 89, I kicked in Joel Otto's kicked in goal. I'll still, st- I'll still stick with it. Um, <laughs> you know, we played extremely well uh, with the, with the club there. Pat started making some changes and building towards the 94 team. But uh, yeah, we had better teams than what we, we showed in the playoffs, uh, you know, leading up to 94, we backed into the playoffs basically in 94. I think we didn't solidify a, a playoff spot until maybe four to six games left in the season. Yeah, you guys were number seven seed. Yeah, so we had to we had to you know fight our way in, and then you know we 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 hit we we played Calgary first round. They were number one seed, I believe, in the league. They were one of the favorites to win it. We go into Calgary the first game, we win, so we're up one game nothing, and and of course that year was the year they were going. I think it was the choice of the the top seed whether they wanted to play the first three games at home or the, the second or the, the second three games in the road and they opted to play three games on the road so we played the first two games there two games there split come home and then and then uh they win the next two games to go up three games to one and then we pick our way back to to get to game seven in in calgary and and uh the rest is history as you know the save happens. Yeah. Walk me through know, it. Give me some analysis on it. I, I want to know from your perspective, facing that three on one, what you saw and how you made that save. Well, there's a lot of stuff that led up to it. There was, there was probably two or three saves before that were, that were just as big and one being in, in regulation in the th- late in the third period uh, after if he doesn't score, Greg Adams with three minutes left, we would get into uh, overtime, but Al McKinnis uh, had a pretty good, chance with about a couple minutes left where he walked into one of the top of the circles and I was able to get my, my cheater of my glove on it to, uh, to make a, you know, obviously a, a good save under the, under the, uh, the circumstances. And then, you know, we get into the, into the overtimes and it's a seesaw, you know, t- tactical game going back and forth, you know, basically exchanging blows and Vernie was making some saves at, at one end. I was making some saves at the other. And then we go into uh, late into that period and, and the three on one happens where Dana had pinched and, uh, you know, his, his partner, longtime partner at the time was Yerky 
And Yerky played it great. You know, he, he stayed in the middle. I was probably yelling at him, you know, just stay in the middle. Don't, don't commit. Uh, he, he did commit, <laughs> you know, at the last, last minute. So, uh, you know, and at the corner of my eye, I, I saw Jeff Courtney bust in his rear end to get back, which surprised me more than anything because that rarely happened. He was that inspired. He was inspired. Um, so I, you know, out of, out of desperation, uh, you know, and, you know, with Theo carrying the puck, had all different options. He'd scored on me uh, earlier in the in the second period, coming the same play almost where he came down and shot it and beat me tweener. So you had to honor the um, shot. Absolutely, and and him being as nifty as it he is, he could have shot it. He could have he could have held up and come across himself or or run around the net and tried to you know wrap around or uh, many options. You know, the talented player that he was, and you know Yerky, you know decided to kind of do an angle. Uh, you know, slide across and force that pass. And I was able to read it and anticipate it and, and time it to a T where it landed on Reichel's stick and my pads landed at the same time. And, you know, he, he really wasn't able to get, probably get it up as quick as he could. And, and I was able to get my pad there at the exact same time where the puck met his stick and, and then just, you know, with the bottom leg, uh, uh, kick it out. But growing up as a kid, we learned that move. That was right. part of our arsenal was the two pad slide. And, and, uh, you know, when we were doing drills or we were teaching drills, that was something we taught, yep. you know, it was a desperation move because you were, you know, you're taught to play the angle, play the shooter. And if to get across it, that was how you got across as quick as you could. It was, it was to throw, throw your legs out and, and slide across. And, and it worked at that particular moment. And, and then we, we get through that first uh, that first uh, overtime, and and then boom, early in the in the in the second overtime, uh, uh, Jeff Brown out of the corner of his eye. I still I still watched that highlight. Was able to spot Pavel breaking down the middle, and he just threaded the needle with this an unbelievable pass with Pavel in stride. And and I think he you know there's no doubt Pavel caught Vernie flat footed because yeah. Pavel was going 100, 100 miles an hour, and I don't think Vernie expected a, a breakaway to happen like that and and Pavel basically just skated it into the net after he just made one move on on Bernie had anybody in the league seen anything like Pavel Bure when he showed up the speed that he played with uh, I don't think so I think some maybe some of the older guys were maybe used to somebody like a, a Mike Gartner and maybe had that speed or obviously Guy Lafleur um, those were the guys that, that, that come to mind but um, you know, Pavel brought it to a different notch where he was electrifying and what he was able to do at, at high speeds with his hands and in tight, uh, was amazing. I mean, you're seeing it again at another level with Connor McDavid now, right? You know, it blows, blows me away what Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid can do, uh, at the speed and, and how quick his hands and what he can do in tight, mind you, uh, he doesn't have guys hacking him with two handers and, you know, trying to take his knees out like yeah. Pavel did and which ultimately ended his career. You know, he took a beating because one, he loved to score and he did whatever it took to, to score a goal. And, and he, he, there was nobody that went harder to the net. Uh, I, I think than Pavel Burry, he would, the way he cut to the net and, and get hacked down and cross-checked, uh, you know, you know, I'd like to see some of the superstars of today play in, in our era where they, they had to take a beating to score yeah. a goal. Not saying they don't, they don't have to work for it now, but, Gosh, guys, guys are scoring, you know, 50, 50 goals, 50 goals plus by taking two handers across the hand. Maybe the goaltending wasn't as good as it is now. Maybe, uh, you know, on the most part, but still, you know, to be able to take a beating like they did and, and score goals, their eye hand coordination while they're getting cross-checked and slashed and goaltenders hacking them across the Oof. ankles or, yeah. Or 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 give or giving them the little flip between the legs, you know, <laughs> tough tough uh, tough tough sledding. But they did it, and you know, I'm not saying that the guys now are. It's amazing to watch, without a doubt. It's they're they're incredible athletes and and uh, talented human beings, and and the game is so fast it blows me away sometimes. I got a taste of it in junior. You know, my junior was 99 to 2001. Yeah. And it was still pretty tough then. And, you know, I'm 16 years old, yeah. 18 to 20 year yeah. old men 
Uh, I mean, North American League back then, you didn't even have to wear a face shield or a half shield if once you turned 18. It, it had that flavor. And I'm, I'm yeah. glad that I have the perspective of playing in that tough of hockey, especially nowadays for what I'm doing to be able to relate to what you're talking about. You guys upset three teams on your way to the Stanley Cup finals. Again, a seven seed yeah. and a lot of OT games. And you and I know as a goalie, the more you win those OT games, the more confidence your team builds. You start to feel yeah. like you're unbeatable and you end up going seven games. But the first game of the Stanley Cup finals against the New York Rangers, yeah. one of the best goaltending yeah. performances I've ever seen, a lot of people have ever witnessed. I mean, was that the best game that you ever played? 52 saves, 3-2 overtime victory. It, it, I, I, I get that asked. I get asked that a lot. I think it's 1A and 1B. I played. I played one game. Um, it's definitely there. Yes. I mean, and on the big stage game, exactly. Game one of the Stanley cup final in New York, a 52 shot uh, performance and, and to win it in, in, in overtime. Uh, it's definitely there um, without a doubt, but there was one game that I played in the early nineties. Uh, we were in, I don't know if you've been told this, but we were in, in uh, Montreal, the old forum. And, and I hated playing. We, we only saw them twice a year, maybe three times a year, the scheduling at that time. And for some reason I could, I had lousy success in the old forum and Maple Leaf Gardens, but we were in the old forum and they had a pretty good team at the time. They they just come off a cup, you know, Patrick's in the, in the net, they had Charbonneau, they had Kirk Muller, they had course and they had, they had a good team. And, and um, we shut them out three, nothing. I get a three, nothing shutout in the forum with a 50 some odd shot. Uh, uh, score so I, I take I put that right up there uh, first star in the forum standing ovation chills that still I still feeling. get chills down my spine thinking it. it was an unbelievable feeling and you know I grew up hating the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> because I was a Leaf fan right, right? Um, but I totally appreciate the, you know the the fans and and the sports and the history and and um, you know what that city means to hockey and what that province means to hockey and to get that standing ovation um, was, was a thrill, one of the thrills of my life. And, and I will never forget that moment. And, and I have to thank the, you know, obviously the Montreal fans for their appreciation. Despite you guys losing out in game seven, do you still look back at that run though, as being pinnacle of your career, the highlight of it? Totally, totally. Without a doubt. I mean, it, it hurts, you know, as, as a lot of us, just don't we, we don't go back and watch it i don't I, I see it once in a while on you know flashback games on espn or tsn or whatever whatever the what's going on but i don't sit and watch it for any length i just kind of watch little bits because i'm my own my worst critic right oh, I, I, I know i do the I same hate watching thing. <laughs> goals going in on me what could i have done and i wasn't big on i, I wasn't a big video guy you know I, I didn't like to go back and watch a lot of video i knew what i did wrong um and then I, and I just knew mentally what, what it was. And I just wanted to forget about it and get on. And I, and I'm, I'm not for one to I hate watching myself make saves too, because I'm just that guy. I just play the game and, you know, it's my job to make the save. And, um, you know, if it goes in, that's behind me. I want to, I want to concentrate what's going on, but every now and then you glimpse of it on a, a monitors, or if you're flipping the channels, it's on there and it's tough. It's tough to watch, but totally the pinnacle of, yeah. of my career it was an amazing run. I can't take that away from us. We did come up short. We didn't reach our ultimate goal. We, we, we failed. Um, but, you know, to this day, people coming up and they talk about what it meant to them and, you know, where they were at the time, you know, they stopped their wedding to watch the games and they, they did this or their kids were born and they've named their kids after players on the teams or their animals. And for some reason, the 94 team has a, a and uh, plays a big part in the in the, the people of Vancouver, and and it, it, it's incredible. Like uh, they had the '82 team that was a great bunch of guys and a and a working class team that worked their tail off to get to that to that point. And then of course the, the talented, wonderful team they had in '11 where they should have won it. We all thought they were going to win it for sure. And and but for some, everybody gravitates to that '94 team. I it, it's an amazing feeling and and what can I say? It's, uh, we, we, we hold a, a certain piece in everybody's heart here as they do in our hearts. And, and, uh, it's nice walking around town and, and, uh, feeling like the people are your friends and you can sit down and 
shoot the breeze no matter who it is it could be on the park bench or it could be in the pub or the coffee shop and, and it's just uh, they're like one of the guys and, and there's no there's no celebrityism where you're trying to hide from them or pull your hat down or any of that kind of stuff it's just it's like they've always been there beside you all the time. Do you think that's why there was such a visceral response to the 50th anniversary celebration when you skated out in the replica gear? You know, maybe. I think, uh, obviously, I'm still in Vancouver, but you got Courtnell's in Vancouver. You got uh, Cliffy here, uh, Gino, uh, uh, Trevor, obviously. Uh, you know, guys that, that played before that, Gary Volk, uh, Sergio Amasso comes in and out because of his his uh, gig that he has with the, with the Canadians and um, you know, Stan Schmiel is still here, obviously. And we see these people all the time and, and uh, it's, it's like, we just pick up from, from 94. It's, it's, it's awesome. And I, you know, I'm blessed with my position and what I do for the Canucks and, and, you know, I, uh, my little role when with Rogers that I do with hometown hockey, I get a chance to, to go to all the stops in, in BC and represent uh, Rogers and the, and the Canucks uh, at these small towns that I don't necessarily get to, to go to all the time. We, we try to get there with our alumni to play charity games, but it just doesn't happen all the time. So it's amazing. I just love it. And the people are, are, are so awesome. And, and I couldn't be more blessed. I, I really, really enjoy it. There's not the fact that it's a beautiful, beautiful province. And, and uh, you know, I somewhat grew up here. I, like I trade here at the age of 20, 21 years old. And, you know, I go back to Ontario and Toronto maybe once a year for four days or so. And, and that's enough for me. I get out of, I get out of Dodge. <laughs> I got to get back to Vancouver. <laughs> when I saw you skate out wearing that gear and just knowing you hadn't played goalie or put that on in so long, like I was hyperventilating. I'm like, this is my childhood coming to life on the ice again. And I was working for Vegas at this point, And I remember seeing it and just going, I, I can't believe my eyes, but there was a really cool backstory to it. There's a, a fireman uh, in the area named Josh Bowman that you actually had to lent you the gear right what, what was the full story on that they found his gear uh through facebook or something uh the trainers uh, um, and uh he had this replica set of mine almost right to the t the pads were you know a little bit i had a 34 inch pads these are probably these were probably up around the 36 or so they're a little bit <laughs> a little bit taller but they look good um the gloves were you know obviously modern day gloves but to they look like mine. I had my old mask that I, one of my old masks that I, that I'd used. The only thing that, that was, that was mine was my mask and my stick, which Pat O'Neill, uh, the, the head uh, equipment uh, guy for the Canucks had packed away somewhere back in the, in, in the locker rooms somewhere where I'd signed either for him or, or somebody that he was going to give it to. So he pulled it out of the, he pulled it out of the archives. I was afraid to lean on it and probably break because it was probably so brittle. And he did the same thing for, uh, for Stan Schmiel, he pulled Stan's old Sherwood uh, uh, stick that he'd sign. Uh, uh, it was on the blade. You could see them both on the blade, but you couldn't see it on TV. So those were the only two things. I had Dan Cloutier's old skates that he had when he was the goalie coach there that, he, that I was wearing. Hadn't skated on goalie skates in 20 years and and different type of skate. And uh, you know, the, the night, it's two nights in a row, uh, especially, the, uh, you know, I was out, I went late at night down to the rink. Uh, to skate around on goalie skates, to get used to skating on goalie <laughs> Take skates. Take a couple hot laps. <laughs> to, to, I did. I, I, went, I was out there for about a, you know, a good half an hour to 45 minutes twirling around. So you were nervous about the backwards. skate? Absolutely. I didn't want to, I didn't want to fall on my ass. And then the night before I went back and actually put the pad, put the pads on to skate with the pads on to be able to, to, to have that feel of skating and, and balance with the pads on because I didn't want to uh, step on that ice, even though it was only to the blue line. It seemed like an eternity there for, you know, when they're, you know, when the lights are dimmed and you're, and you're going out to that blue line. When you look back on your career, as much time as you spent in the NHL success, like, is there anything more gratifying than being inducted into the ring of honor for the Canucks? Yeah, that was a special, special evening. And, and um, to be the second one, Orland Curtin back was the first, and then to be the second one uh, to be, to be put up there on that ring uh, was pretty special. I, you know, I was, you know, kind of surprised and taken back when uh, uh, Mike Gillis uh, gave me the call and let me know that, that you know, that uh, I was going to be the second one behind Orlan. And just for the fact of him to get that started and, and to, to form a, a committee uh, ring was, was, you know, a testament to him. I mean, I think that's, you know, although we haven't won the Stanley Cup here in Vancouver, you know, we've been to the dance three times and, 
you know, there's still some history, some great history here, you know, even lean back to the Western Hockey League before the NHL and, and of course, way back to the millionaires. But uh, it's nice to have that tradition and, and to, to bring that, you know, you don't have to necessarily win a, win a Stanley Cup to have that tradition. And, and it was quite an honor. And, you know, it's carried on. I got inducted into the, the Hockey Hall of Fame. You know, being an Ontario boy to be able to be, you know, inducted into the BC Hockey Hall of Fame was a great thrill. And, and then last year, you know, being inducted into the BC Sports Hall of Fame, we were unable to do the, the ceremony because of COVID. So I think we may do a double with the, with, if we can do it this upcoming summer, but to get that call as well, it's, it's just been just a, you know, a, a good ending to, to retirement, uh, um, you know, to have these accolades at the end of, at the end of my, my hockey career and, and to be able to be uh, um, appreciated and, and acknowledged, uh, not just uh, um from the Vancouver fans, but the media and and the people uh, in the in the sports community in general, it's it's just awesome. Awesome indeed. Big thanks to Kirk McLean for hanging out a little bit, telling his story. Pretty amazing stuff in there. Toronto kid going to Vancouver, making good on it, carving out a life. If you enjoy Six Degrees, please subscribe and rate in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in advertising on Six Degrees, contact Believe at BLEAV.com. And you know you can always find me on social media at Mike McKenna56. Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.